The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Hey, everybody, it's UFC Unfiltered. Matt is gallivanting in Florida, but he does call in and talk to myself and Jamie English. We also have Ian Heinish with his fascinating story and UFC commentator Brendan Fitzgerald calls in for the first time. It's a really fun show, although Matt is definitely missed. We miss him. Shaws are dropped throughout this arena. Nobody is sitting down. Chasing that finish. Elbows raining down. Oh! On the button. Are you kidding me? Oh, he hurt him again. He's out. This is UFC Unfiltered. And now, your hosts, Jim Norton and Matt Sarah. Well, not quite. <laughs> Matt and I cannot wind up in the same state for some reason. Uh, last week I was in L.A. broadcasting, and uh, no one asked me to call in. <laughs> and uh, today Matt is away with his family in Florida. Uh, we do have him calling in. Yeah, he demanded it. Yeah, I don't blame him. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have Jamie English. I don't even know your real last name. Oh, it's Crowder. Jamie Crowder. Okay, I think Thanks. I did know that. Cheers. Hi, Jamie. Hello, mate. Uh, we had Phoenix uh, Carnavale was going to come in, but she has the flu. Yeah, something happened to her. She travels a lot. She got sick. So She's probably making it up. She's probably on another podcast. <laughs> she's, very, she's very competitive. She is, right? Yeah. Yeah, she's probably doing another podcast <laughs> and does want to feed this one and his listeners. <laughs> Um, but thank you for coming in. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks I appreciate it. And um, we're, I guess we're doing two shows. You only did one last week because Matt and I were both gone at one point. Yeah, it just didn't work out. Matt's on vacation, and then you uh, had your radio show in L.A. And that Yair Rodriguez uh, Korean zombie fight, uh, real snooze fest. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, a little so late, boring. Yeah, predictable ending. I mean, I called it. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I said it's going to end with a uh, with an elbow on the on the exact. I, I said with three seconds left, but it happened on with no seconds left. So I was a little off. But really, one of the great spectacles of ever, and I know it's late, but we haven't actually done a live show since then. Yeah, yeah. One of the great spectacles in, in fights I, I've ever seen in my life. Like every fucking round was incredible. Yeah, if you want to advertise uh, mixed martial arts, that's the fight to look. One of the fights to look at, right? Yeah, it really was. Who did you have ahead on that fight? Do you, do you have? Did you have anybody picked? A- you know, I thought it was a lot closer than people seem to suggest. They, I, I think, if I'm not wrong, didn't the official card have the uh, Korean zombie ahead? I had. I thought he was a little bit ahead too, but it was so close, like I could. But I don't think it was a clear-cut thing, you know, because I, I, as I've talked about this in the past, like judging is a very subjective thing, and it's difficult sometimes, and they're all positioned in different parts of the cage, so not every judge sees the same thing. Right. So if it's close, you can always be like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. So Yeah, I love watching guys like, I love guys like Rodriguez who throw kicks, uh, leg kicks, punches. Like, he literally has got to be such a difficult guy to prepare for. That's why everybody wanted to see him fight... Uh, 
Zabit Magomed Sharipov because he fights kind of the same way. It's like, except I think Rodriguez is a lot less likely to take you down than Zabit is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Uh-huh, yeah. I think yeah. that's really a big factor in that fight for Zabit can go to the ground. Yeah. They had uh, two of the three judges had um, Korean Zombie up uh, three three to one yeah. going into the fifth okay. round. Okay. And the it other seemed like he was winning the fifth round. Uh, it was 2 2 going into the fifth, which I had it. I thought it was 2 2. Okay, so it was really close. There was no yeah. shitty judging. Yeah. But, but Korean Zombie was winning the fifth round. <clears throat> I think he was too. And to run into right. an elbow, like, I, I mean, it's with just one second left. With one second left. It's Ooh. such. I mean, what do you do? How do you handle that as a fighter if you're Yair Rodriguez? Um, I'm sorry, if you're, if you're the Korean Zombie and you know you were winning. Like, if you're Yair and you get knocked out that way, well, you're, you know, you're making a last-ditch effort to knock him out. But how do you handle that if you're winning and you lose on the buzzer like that? It's, a, it's an interesting question because um, who, what are they telling him in his corner, right? And when he's in there, are they like, you're ahead? Or are they like, you need this last round? And then also, beyond the coaches and influences, the, mental, the mentality of the fighter, like, I think I've got this round, I'm pretty good. Why should I take a risk, right? And the last 10 seconds, just run off. You see that in fights, especially yeah. veterans like them. They'll back off and uh, they'll, they'll they'll play the game and let the time go out. But that's not what happened there. So no. it's interesting to see if it was more of an emotional response or an intelligent, I mean, a lack of in, maybe intelligence in a sense, like, oh, I'll just go for it. I don't know. You don't know unless you ask him, I suppose. Yeah, and, and I, I mean, they had very good sports, but a little too much. Yeah, Con- I don't, with 12 that, seconds left, I don't need you both standing up there taking a play. It's like, come on, man. It's- yeah, which might have affected the outcome a little bit. You know, like it, you drop your guard a little and then you try to get back at it and it you yeah, know, ends up yeah. costing him at the end of the fight. It is yeah. a very interesting uh, question, especially psychologically, what that does to people. Um I remember years ago, I don't know if this is really that relevant, but I know Arnold Schwarzenegger was competing against a competitor and it was between him and someone else and like they were posing on the stage and he looked at the competitor and he said, Ma, I'm tired, man. Should we walk off? We finished. So we go, yeah. So the other guy turned to walk off and he carried on posing <laughs> and got an extra few seconds in and like it was a psychological game. So, I mean, I'm, I don't know what um, Yai is thinking, but there's always those moments where you could be like, hey, and then you, you know what I mean? Oh, so he posed. A li- that was, it was a thing Schwarzenegger did to get the other guy off. Yeah, like to move away from the platform and then he carried on posing and got extra points for what he was doing. It's kind of a smart thing to do against yeah. your opponent and maybe there's a similar psychology sometimes in fighting when you, you kind of play the sportsman role and then calm things down and then come at your opponent hard. It's like messes with people sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I wonder. I, I wonder. I mean, that was also... I mean, it wasn't luck. I mean, he threw the elbow up, but yeah. oh, that, right. that was just... I mean, you, you could... I don't know how you practice for that. They said, well, he had practiced doing that. How do you practice throwing your elbow up as a guy is charging in? Yeah, well, that was... I mean, Anderson Silva, I forget who it was against, but yeah. he predict Like, he would work on, like, this front up elbow. Yeah. And he told his coaches, like, I'm going to go... I'm going to land that. Who did and he knock out with a front up I forget, elbow? I'll, I'll look it up. It was, it was, I think it was before the UFC, right? Oh, yeah, it was okay. in England. Yeah. Um, it was in the cage... Henry uh, Cooper. <laughs> yeah. It was Henry Cooper, yeah. Exactly. Uh, but anyway, but yeah, that was something like he practiced and they were like, okay, you're not going to land it. And sure enough, he did land it. So I think it's Cage Warriors in, a, in, in London, I think, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah so. it, was, it was almost like Cormier uh, against Jones. They said they had caught Cormier leaning to the left or leaning to, or to the right, to his right, I guess Jones left. And they had practiced that, that yeah. one little moment. Yeah. I guess, you know, because I've never fought in my life, it's hard for me to imagine that guys are so... 
precise when they fight, but they are. I mean, when you guys are, there's like a real strategy to it, and you're really watching. Like for me, I would just flail. <laughs> I would flail. You're hard to prepare for then, because we don't know what you're going to do. I know it's just going to be swing, uh, swing like I have a purse in my hand, <laughs> and you're a masher. It looks like uh, Cage Rage 16 oh, London England Rage against Rage Tony Fricklin. It was a reverse elbow. Yeah, I remember what year was that? that? Yeah. Uh, 2006. Yeah, I love a good elbow. There was a couple of really amazing uh, uh, elbows. I mean, uh, let's let's. Uh, you want? Did you see the uh, the card? Yes. Um, I I didn't. I I sent in my picks, not knowing you wouldn't be doing your show. I never heard back from you. Did you send? Where did you send them? I emailed them to you. <laughs> I, I swear to God, I didn't get them. <laughs> oh, Professional okay, show. I assumed right you guys here. would be doing it. <laughs> no, no, I didn't get them. I had uh, I had Calvillo. I had first round submission with ten seconds left. I was off a little. How much time was left? <laughs> that was twelve. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah I, I was. Just, wow, that's a great pick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got that one. Uh-huh. Um, that was a uh, that was very unexpected because uh, she was losing that round. I thought. Yeah, I think so too. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, Pollyanna Botelli was very... It was a six-inch reach. Of, uh, yeah. how, how much reach and, and height was she giving away? She was giving away a lot. Yeah, that I'd have to check. Let me see. Um, but yeah, I mean, she's when she gets near someone's neck, it's pretty much over. And was that just a case of, you know, she doesn't want to get pounded, so she, she just gives up her back on purpose to try to get up and gets caught? Yeah. A lot of times people are, like, prepared to, like, take a risk to get back to the feet. Yeah, and that's, that's not one the of the person to do it against. Them. No, well, you know. No. Also, you know, if you get, you don't know what people are feeling. If you get cracked, sometimes it's like, oh, another one of them. I might not be away. So there's a the, the greater threat is don't get knocked out, get back up. Who knows? You know, it depends out. Because it's funny, like you see people get hit and it looks like nothing, and they're out or they're hit, and then you see people take massive blows and they don't seem phased. It's very right. difficult to predict what's actually. Yes, like when happening. you watch Cormier knock out Stipe Miocic, it did his punch that he. It almost looked like he hit him with the back of his hand. If I, it didn't look like it was a short hook. Yeah, a short. It, it didn't. But it, when you look at it, it, didn't look like it was Cormier wound up and threw everything he had. Sometimes the punch does doesn't look like. Yeah. He's got everything on it, and I guess it just hits you in the right place. Yeah, it's the yeah. one you don't see, and that was what Cormier was talking about right. going after the fight. He it was, was off the about clinch, it. right? Yep. Yeah, where he, he planned on that kind of like moving Stipe to one side, and then hitting him with the right. Yeah, uh, it was a four-inch height uh, disadvantage for Calvillo and a three-inch reach disadvantage, also. Yeah, so you know, uh, uh, Pollyanna wanted to keep that off the off the ground, yeah. and uh, she just couldn't get up yeah. faster. But you know, she must have heard the uh, the. She must have known uh-huh. there was 10 seconds. Maybe that's why she wanted to try to get up, because she probably figured, I'm not going to get choked out in right. six seconds. Right. Possibly. Well, wrong. <laughs> wrong. <laughs> wow. I always, it's always interesting when you see a fighter's two, when you know they, want, they have to tap, yeah. but you see that they hover yeah. with the hand, and then it comes back, and then they're, like, like, yeah. they're just hoping that something changes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, by the way, we didn't talk about congratulations to Cowboy. I know we're late. Uh, setting the uh, the UFC win record against Mike Perry yeah. uh, in that first round uh, Was that 21 submission. Win? Yeah, his 21st win, his 15th finish. He also had the finish record very, as well. Very impressive. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, actually, some of the news that I had on here was that he tweeted or whatever, posted a picture of him and Conor McGregor and was like waiting on him to sign, and, uh, <laughs> which, it- you know, Dana has since come out and been like, no, we're not, we're not working on a fight for Conor or whatever, but... That makes sense, that fight. Dana White said that's not true. Absolutely not true. Obviously, that's the fight Cowboy Cerrone wants, but that's yeah. not true. We haven't even thought about an opponent for either one of those guys yet, meaning Khabib or Connor. K- Khabib has to fight Tony Ferguson next. That, that has to be the fight. It's the only right fight. I, I think that's the fight yet, of course. That's what and people want to see. It know? is, Everybody right? wants to see that, yeah. Why then, wouldn't you want to see that fight? Right. Now, does Connor, what weight does he fight Cowboy at? Do well, they fight at 155 or Yeah, 170? Cowboy's going back down to 155, he said. So he that, said that's, that, yeah. yeah so he yeah. wants... He was 6-4 as a welterweight, right? Um, I can't believe he's fought 10 fights at welterweight, but I'm, am I wrong? Uh, let's see. 
He's had a, he's had quite a few. Yeah, he's been on. Yeah, he was yeah. on a really good run there as well. He was but, actually. He's doing well. Yeah, I think he just feels better at at one or whatever. He has more of a chance at a title shot, I guess, at one fifty five. I don't know what it, what his thought process is, but um, yeah, one, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, six and four okay. as a welterweight. So anyway, so he is dropping back down to lightweight, according to Cowboy, and I, it might not happen. Dana says it might not happen, but I I really think that that would be a stylistically a really fun fight for both guys. That actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah, but that's another one where Connor has a huge disadvantage on the ground. Yeah. Uh, Cowboy on the ground is very underrated, I guess, because he's, he's so fun to watch standing up. Yep. People forget that he's a jiu-jitsu black belt, and you know he, he's a savage on the ground. Yeah, incredibly well-rounded. Yeah. yeah, he's great. So I think that's a bad matchup for Connor too. Unless they agree to stand up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Gentleman's agreement. Yeah. Look, I won't go on the ground. You don't want to go on the ground. Wink, wink. Yeah. Well, stylistically, I mean, there's not too many great matchups left for Connor. Like, once you get to the top of a division like that, yeah, it's, you know, it's who a, do you Yeah, and it's also, for him, it's also like, I mean, I'm only imagining, but I imagine for Connor, it's like, what's going to make him want to do it? You know what I mean? Because right. he, he, he wanna, he'll want to fight that challenges him right because especially at that level you only want to fight people who are going to make you better yeah. otherwise what's the especially him i mean i don't know him but i'm presuming right like because i've met some a lot of fighters train a lot of fighters certain mentality is like they have a sense of themselves and it's like it can't be beneath them you know what i mean that person has to be a challenge that everyone respects and if i fight this person because he's got enough money <laughs> it's yeah, like right. you know i want to be challenged i want to make me a better fighter well i think he wants title fights too like any yeah. fight besides, you know, that's not a title fight for Connor. I, I don't know how good a, how interesting that is for him because right. is he the main event if it's not a title? Fight? Of course he's the main event, but yeah. then what do you put a title fight as the co-main and he's the main? This is a fight between him and Cowboy that doesn't have really any title implications. I mean, when you're on that level, you got to start. I, I mean, I imagine that he might just sit out and wait for the winner of Khabib Ferguson. Yeah, and then him and Tony is a a, yeah. a first fight, which is great. Everybody wants that fight. Yeah, the rematch with Khabib you could definitely sell. Yeah. I mean, come on. To me, Connor. I mean, you're right. He could he could do that, and I think if he got a title shot, nobody would be surprised at that. I do think that he probably should take a fight in between instead of waiting because odds are Khabib is just going to keep the belt. I think Tony Ferguson is a real dangerous opponent for Khabib, but say Khabib keeps the belt, him versus Connor again is probably going to go yeah I the think, same way. You know? I think it's very interesting because if he if he did lose Khabib yeah. and Tony got it. That's interesting for Connor to fight him yeah. for the belt, you know what oh, I mean? Yeah. Or, or then if Khabib keeps a belt, I still think it's an interesting thing. Um, because I, as uh, Matt said when we talked about it, uh, and I spoke to Professor Danaher about this, like before the fight, before the Khabib-Connor fight, uh, you should not s underestimate Connor's ground game. Like he's not, you know, maybe he's not world-class on the ground, but you don't have to be. Right. You just have to know enough to not get into too much trouble. And considering it was the fourth round that he got finished, and you know he is not particularly well known for his um, economy or, ne or necessarily his um, grappling, that tires you out, right? So uh, that's the smart thing to do is like tire Connor out because the, the longer the fight goes, in theory, the less dangerous he's going to be, less explosive. Because that's where he's. Let's be honest, he's not going to finish on the ground. Is he? he's trying to knock you out? Yeah. And the less chance he has of that is the more tired he gets because he's less explosive. Right. Loses his power. So the strategy, from what I understood from um, his coach when he was interviewed uh, on a on a podcast, was uh, they were perfectly happy to accept being on the ground a bit more as long as they could negate, and then afterwards. Um, 
Coach Cavana had said, maybe that wasn't the best. Fighting know, not to lose as opposed to fighting to win, I think he said, right? Yeah, and like maybe that took too much out of him. So he may, in a future endeavor, may be a bit more interested in either getting back up or like really taking it to him on the feet early. Right. So it's maybe they didn't think he could get back up. Though. I mean, most guys have a hard time getting back up against Khabib. He's not a, he's not an easy guy to get back up with. Well, that's his whole thing, isn't it? Like once he gets you down, he mauls you, yeah. and then you get exhausted trying to get back up. So I think they were like, let's be, you know, economical. I mean, it wasn't. I don't think it was a bad idea, by the way. But you know, and he did get up, but uh, it at an expense in the end. You know. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, they had his legs being locked up like that, like the one leg crossed yeah. over. Oh, that'd be. It's just, and he presses you up against the cage, and he's just, you know, mauling you, right? Pushing your face into the corner. I mean, that just sucks. Yeah, which is why, <laughs> uh, as we've talked about a million times, because the fight's been put together several times, the Tony Ferguson, Khabib fight is really interesting because if he can't do that to Tony. Tony is is great off of his back and very active off his back, so yep. he's not going to worry about that. And Tony's so wild; he'll he doesn't care; he'll do yeah. anything. Tony's yeah. a maniac, yeah, yeah. and I'm, I'm sure Khabib would approach him differently, knowing that on his back he's not uncomfortable at all. And right. if you take him down, he's comfortable being on the floor for half the fight. Yeah, um, I would love to ask Connery. I mean, I've never talked to him other than hello, but I would love to ask him if Khabib was what he expected. Like, was it? as bad as you thought it would be? Was he not as strong as you thought? I mean, Khabib won, but was it, was it what you were expecting from him? Or was it worse or better? Yeah, that's a good question to ask. I don't know if he'd be honest, you know, if it was worse. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, he was a lot worse than I was thinking he was going to be. <laughs> yeah. Most guys don't want to admit that. We do have a couple of phone guests today. Besides Matt Serra, we have uh, <laughs> Brendan Fitzgerald, who did a great job announcing the fight. And we also have uh, Ian Heinisch, who, was, uh, who, who won his UFC debut. I believe that was his debut, right, Chris? Yeah, that was his debut. He was on the Contender, on the contender yeah. I oh, that, okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, do we have Matt Serra on the phone? Yes, yes. Uh, who's calling? Uh, <laughs> hi, Matt. How are you? This is UFC Unfiltered. <laughs> oh, damn, do I miss you, Jimmy. I miss, I miss you too, so pal. Much, and I'm not afraid to say it. Well, I'm it's been a while. Say it. It's been a while. It has been a while. Why are you in Florida? You guys hear me okay with the Hulk, uh, the Hulk, in the background, the fucking roller coaster. I'm at Universal. Yeah, it sounds great. Now, why in Florida? So you went to Florida just take the family for Thanksgiving week, kind of. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm coming. I'm getting back on Saturday. We're gonna spend Thanksgiving over at Ciro's. That's my father-in-law. He's got a house over in uh, Carpet Springs or some shit. Wait, in Florida? Yeah, Florida. Nice. I'm in. I'm in Orlando now. Me and the Sarah crew. Me, my kids, my wife. I didn't get my wife. I got my sister-in-law. And then, of course, Edwin. Big 300-pound Uncle Edwin. So you guys are an imposing... The Sarahs are an imposing family. <laughs> what about Uncle Edwin? Well, that's I'm counting him as part of as one of the Sarahs. <laughs> I'm counting him as your family. Some guy asked for a picture yesterday, and he's like, and who's the big guy? <laughs> like, oh, that's my bodyguard. <laughs> you should have told him it was your life partner. <laughs> you know, I know. <laughs> gonna, they'll probably think that I'm the uh, the catcher. Listen, um, he's a big dude. It's weird. But what was I going to say? Jimmy, yes, it's sir. probably, you close your eyes, and you're probably with Jamie English there. You probably don't even notice a difference with how loud he is. And you're like, it's like the same thing with me there and him. I actually did think it was you for a minute. Similar, similar right? accent, right? Similar yeah, Jamie accent. was singing Toyo Tires. I'm like, Jamie, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, I bet you fucking... <laughs> Guys, what about Ponzinibbio? Holy shit, man. 
It was so did impressive. Yeah, we did watch them, and we haven't yeah. talked about it yet. I'm glad you're on. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know me, Matt. I love a good leg kicker. Like, there's nothing. I don't know why I love wow. someone. Like, when a fighter has a hard time standing because he has been leg yeah. kicked. I mean, Ponzinibbio is just almost impossible. He, he throws everything. Dude, he was, he was on point. And the last time we seen him was... Mike Perry? Perry. Is that is that correct? Yeah, decision against Mike Perry. Um, and he, he was very uh, good against Gunnar Nelson as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, he has it. Oh, did, hey, did he have a layoff after Perry? That was last December, I Yeah, think. he was supposed to have... I Let me double check who he was supposed to be against. Um, oh, wait. Kamara. He was supposed to fight Kamara Usman, Usman yep. and then he had to pull out of that fight. He was injured. What is he ranked now? Tenth and Magni was eight, but I do think they're gonna they're, they'll obviously flip those. So Ponzinibbio oh, should man. be eight. Here's what I want to see, Matt, because I, I think yes. he needs one more fight before you give him a title fight. But I would love to see Ponzinibbio ben against w- Wonder Boy. Oh. oh, I'm sorry. That's the okay. fight I would love to see. Uh, ben Askren, oh, I, I'd love to see, but I want to see him against somebody on the ground. I'd rather see him yeah. against Kamara Usman. Yeah, that's that a good fight. Good. That's I couldn't have picked up a better guy. I would love to see that. Yeah. Man, I'd love to see him with that, or um, who's, um or Morales, the guy. Uh, was that Sergio Morales? Yeah. Am I saying his last name Marais? right? No, Morales. 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 I'm sorry, but he's. I want to see him with a very skilled grappler, uh, Askren. Oh, I, I, I think you're talking about Ponzinibbio. Okay, yeah. No, I was, I was, and then I went all over the place with my fucking head. That's okay. But, uh, <laughs> I, Jimmy, I, I do miss you because it's been a while. I know, buddy. I, I've been here a fucking week already. That's okay. You're enjoying it. You, you've earned it. The Sarahs have earned a nice vacation. I do. I do. Are you staying I on your diet, Matt? It. What's that? Are you able to stay on your diet while you're, you're at the Come again? Park? No, I'm only kidding. Listen, <laughs> I've been doing good with my diet, but I'll tell you, I had one Mickey pretzel, I'm not going to lie, and I felt like shit, and I regretted it right after. But since then, you know, my wife's been doing some training, so... We brought mitts with us so every, you know, every morning, myself and uh, Mrs. Sarah. We, uh, we start with some pad work, and then I do my 100 push-ups, my sit-ups. Because, you know, my wife's doing a little kickboxing, you know? Oh, good. I might even get her an amateur fight, believe it or not. <laughs> That's awesome. Is that funny? Yeah, I mean, Jane, it's... Jane, you you will feel better being away because, you know, she can take care of herself a little bit if any, you know, any problems when she's out at the store. That's right. Oh yeah, no, for sure. She'll break a jaw real quick. <laughs> She's like my my like uh, my Italian Wonder Woman. Hey Matt, <laughs> listen, that's a fight. What did you think, I, Matt, I, about really, Magni's? Magni didn't seem to be able to get going, and he had no answer for those leg kicks. I just felt a good point with not being able to get going. I mean, I just think first of all that first jab that it. I mean, it it it, it totally either blinded him or made him cockeyed or right. whatever it is. But you're looking, he's, he was protecting that. So, so it was his right eye, yep. and then it was his left leg. So, he, I mean, dude, I mean, he's, he's trying to cover his right face, the right side of his face. Now he can't stand up because his left calf, was it? it was the calf he was attacking, yeah. yes? I believe so. Dude, that is like, I mean, you got to give it to Maggie for hanging in as long as he did because – I mean, he's a tough dude. And that second round, and you saw him trying to just, just, just gain some ground. But Pontinibio wasn't having it, man. And for such a long layoff, uh, he's looking phenomenal. I can't wait to see what's next for him. I, I thought he had a, a, an amazing showing. I, I, uh, I mean, almost flawless. I mean, 
Right? I mean, it was so one-sided. Shit. I, I love him. And it seemed like a couple of times Magny was hoping he'd come down to the ground with him. And, and Ponzinibbio oh, wanted nothing to do with that. And it was funny. Like, they, they you know, Magny would try to meet him in the center of the ring. And then within a minute, he's kind of back bouncing along the cage, just going around the out. Like, you know, he just couldn't get anything going. And he could not keep Ponzinibbio off him. Yeah, so he I, was stalking him. Go ahead, Jamie. Yeah, I was going to say like exactly what you just said, Matt. Then about the stalking, like it's a, it's a, it's a very basic principle, and that fight was won with basic principle. Like he pressed Magni, who is dangerous for sure, and he's proven in his fights he could be losing, and then he'll knock you out or he'll finish you. Um, and like he pressed him up against the fence well, early, very early, and then when he hit, you right, absolutely right, because he confirmed that uh, Matt in the post. Uh, press conference at the end that he was hurt yeah. by that jab and he was trying to protect it and you could yeah. see it and then not only did he establish being a shorter fighter too enabled, enabling himself to establish that jab is impressive because he, had, he wasn't he didn't have the favoured reach so that's impressive to be able to get in on a taller fighter and not only was he getting in but he was getting out so Magni wasn't catching him with any counters and then when yeah. he did try to counter him he got that like you said and that was a good uh, uh, detail to observe Matt that you did which was it wasn't a low tip traditional low kick it was a top of the calf kick and we're seeing that more and more now because people yeah. are recognising that your leg can take a lot more than your calf and you could see within two or three kicks that changed the course of the fight when a guy is hopping on one leg like the last thing a fighter wants to do is show that he's hurt when a guy is fucking hopping yeah. you know he's, yeah. he's hurt because he's especially showing especially a man of that caliber yeah. you know he's a tough tough kid yeah. he's not going to show you that unless he absolutely has yeah. to you know Jamie, being the expert Muay Thai striker um, instructor over at Hansel Gracie Academy, I like to give you plugs, by the way. <laughs> Let me ask you, with the traditional Muay Thai, because I feel like it's fairly new, these calf kicks. I really do. I'm, is that an ancient technique? I mean, is it, or is it just kind of breaking on the scene now? Do you see that in traditional Muay Thai? No, I have to say, in my personal experience, uh, it's it's a new thing for me, my observation. Like, I haven't seen it so much. Um, and you see these things occurring in Thai boxing and other areas. Like, um, when I was training a lot with Professor Danaher in, in, in jiu-jitsu, a lot of the stand-up we would practice, we would be doing some judo. And we started doing um, a Sasai technique, which you threw Matt Hughes with, actually, um, Matt, in your fight. And it's that forward pressure and you just trip the front leg. And we've been doing that in Thai boxing and it wasn't really legal in Thailand. And now it is. So, like, you see other sports start to make, a, you know, an impact on other sports so that you can see these things evolve. And I certainly think it's one of the things that has evolved from the Thai low kick, but it's certainly not. It wasn't something I was aware of until recently. Let me ask, what do you think, to as an answer for that leg kick, which he was landing all night? At one point, Magny has to realize he's got to do something or it's not going to stop. What do you think is the, what? What should he have done to handle that or to counter it or to or to make Ma, uh, Ponzinibbio think about throwing it? Uh, are you asking me, Jim? Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, I, I would. The two, there's two things I would think. The first one was um, the more traditional method, unfortunately, but it is more of an emergency when you're getting hurt, is to switch leads, to go to the opposite lead, yeah. to take away that injured leg. Um, but that's and that's not, like a sign saying I'm hurt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's what some people do. And then the other version of it is to make that person miss 
by feinting a little bit on your stepping for your jab and then pulling back out, which he, if I remember correctly, I don't really think Magni did any real feints. Yeah, but you know who did was, was Ponzinibbi. He was feinting because when he would hit with the jab, then he would feint with the jab and kick or feint with the jab and it hits him with the oh, jab. Yeah. He's very smart. Well, feints are almost like his stance. It's almost like he's just doing that naturally as he's moving forward. Yeah, he's, he's feinting the entire time. It's, it's very, not, very... Yeah. It, and that's how George fought a lot, uh, St. Pierre. Like, he yeah. would feint, you know, and so you've got to use things. This is the basic premise of a lot of striking. You've got to establish something and then you can use it to, to get around other things because once they respond, if they don't, you just keep doing it, like kicking the leg. Once they respond, you should have an answer to their response. Now, what did you also? Uh, what, what do you think? Uh, who do you think is next for Ponzinibbio? I, I was calling for Wonder Boy, Matt. That's who I want to see him fight. Or did I just say that to that's, you? Uh, I said that to you. Who do you yeah. think? Do I, what do I think about that fight? Well, who, do, who would you like to see him fight next? Uh, you know, I don't mind. I wouldn't mind that. It's funny with that because I would. That would be interesting because Wonder Boy's movement is different than everybody's. Yeah. But he has that karate type bounce. Now, when you think about Ponzinibbio, the only thing that you could look that's similar to that would be, and they're not totally style, uh, uh, they're not totally similar styles, but standing up, he does have a karate type bounce and this and that, and that would be Gunnar Nelson, who got caught by Ponzinibbio with, a, I believe, a straight right yeah. and just got starched, yeah. which Gunnar Nelson's father did right, I, did, I think he did uh, right into the show or hit me up somewhere saying that it was Something got hit behind the head or something. I don't know. I don't remember exactly. But was that first round too, Matt? Karate... Was, oh yeah, yeah. no, yeah. that was like the opening. I'm right. pretty sure that was like the opening of the first round. Yeah, it was, Matt. Yeah, he just because I remember being like, "Oh man, I love watching Gunnar Nelson." Holy shit! Right. <laughs> yeah, where he got fucking starched. But so I mean, he did. He was able to time that. Now that's not saying because he timed Gunnar Nelson, who does have like a, a bouncy type karate like stance. I mean that's. You know, he's known for his jiu-jitsu, and, you know, Wonderboy is a master among masters with his with his karate. Yeah. So, I don't know, man. I would I, yeah, I would love to see that. I would like to see if he could figure out, you know, Wonderboy's, uh, you know, timing standing up. And then I end how Wonderboy deals with him, because Ponzinibbio, man, yeah. that guy, I, I liked watching... Like right before the fight, and they they do that. They're showing how he. Who was it? Um, what's his name? Not Joe. It was Joe. Uh, uh, the other bald guy. Jimmy on Smith. Yeah, Jimmy Smith. Smith. <laughs> I love Jimmy Smith. I'm sorry, but uh, I like when he was going over. Like they showed like the movements, and they were showing how his, his how just like how he just basically how he's all over the place. He's zigging, he's zagging. Next thing he comes in and he's blitzing people. I like Ponzinibbio. Guys, him. really quick before I forget, Hikaru Lamos. That was freaking awesome, though. Incredible. Yeah, yeah I, it's funny. We, we did the fight. picks. Yeah. I, my pick was I had Lamas by a late choke. I, I picked him, I, and Chris didn't read my picks. I had sent them all in. I had him. <laughs> I had Ponzinibbio fourth round uh, knockout, but by leg kick, which was incorrect. Yeah, uh, I was close. So close. Very uh, close. Yeah, Ricardo Lamas looked incredible. Uh, the third, yeah. third round looked, uh, knockout by punches. Awesome. And uh, and Elk, you know, takes two to tangle, man. Elk. Darren Elkin is, I mean, he's always fun. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a good victory Like there. a psychopath. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking psychopath. Yeah, really, really tough to stop. So, that, I mean, I think yeah. that was a, I was going to say a smart move, but obviously he's always trying to finish someone. But it's a nice thing for Ricardo Lamas to be able to have finished a tough guy like that. For Darren sure. Elkin, you know, yeah. It's, I'll it's tell you, a, it's a tall order. One of the most amazing 
uh, the, the uh, fucking uh, Johnny Walker and that elbow oh, knockout shit, of man. Khalil Roundtree. Oh, How man. tall is he? I want to say 6'5 or 6'6. He's a very big six, dude. Five, I think he said And he had a huge, I want to say a six. Did he have a six-inch reach advantage? I'm going to double check. Over Roundtree? Uh, there was one point yeah, well, where I, I mean, thought, oh, sorry about that. No, no, I was just going to say his fucking elbows. I mean, they had that reach, but those, uh, that the fucking elbow, that elbow, and he hit him with the first one when he had him in the tie clinch. Yeah. And that one shook him, man. I'm like, oh, that hurt him. Next thing you know, man, good night, Roundtree. He was just putting people to sleep. I was so impressed, man. Yeah. So impressed with that, dude. And he's a young kid who just looks like a kid in a candy store. So happy to be there. <laughs> I thought he was hysterical on Mike. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really great, too. An another uh, exciting fighter in the light heavyweight division. That division is really interesting now. Because uh, there was one point where Roundtree pushed him up against the cage, and I figured, okay, he's going to kind of uh, uh, cancel out that reach advantage, and he'll do some damage. And those fucking elbows. I mean, Jones throws an elbow like that. I can't think of anybody who throws an elbow quite like a punch as effectively as he threw that elbow. Yeah, I feel like it was, it was, nice, a, good, it was a good night for Thai boxing, if you know what I mean. Like, oh, yeah. being a biased Thai boxer that I am. Um, I thought it was great because the, there was a good display of the low kick and then there was a really beautiful display of the, the Thai plum clinch. Like the, the the whole key of the Thai plum clinch is to control your training partner and control the space between you. And he did that really well. And I think Matt nailed it again there because I, it wasn't so much the second elbow for me, although that put him away. I think he was on his way with the first. And then the Word. second one put the put the exclamation point on it, you know. And it was very like um, Jim said, it was very tight. It wasn't a wild, clumsy elbow. It was very precise. You can see he's he's he knows what he's doing in yeah. that position. Especially being a tall fighter. Where any anyone who's tall, if they can um, if they can express that uh, taller than their opponent, they can express that plum clinch. They're going to have an advantage over a shorter person. For now, sure. again, was this his first UFC fight, Chris, or second? It was his first debut. Fight, it uh, was. And this was another guy again off the Contender Series, which is well, yeah, a tremendously great. a great seven farm inch, system. Seven for them. inch reach. Yeah, and he's six five. Yeah, six five. So here's the question: Who does he fight next? Who do you think? Oh, man, at light heavy? He's not ranked. I mean, look, do I want to see him fight Dominic Reyes? Yes. I know maybe a little soon to be calling for that. And Reyes is not going to want to fight an unmatched fight, unranked fighter. Yeah. So who, does, who do you give him? Do you give him Ovin St. Preux, uh, ranked number 10, very dangerous guy? Who do you give this guy next? Man, I wish I had those names right in front of me. I could just look at that thing and just go, mm-mm-mm. But I'm trying to think. I'll give you a few names, Matt, uh, starting with number nine. From 9 down to 15, because he's not going to get yeah, anybody home. All right, let's start from 10. 10 is OSP. 11 is Glover Teixeira. 12 is uh, Misha Serkinov. 13, Shogun. 14, Tyson Pedro Tyson might be Pedro interesting. Tyson Pedro's not a bad matchup. 15, Nikita yeah. Krylov. Yes, because Tyson Pedro is coming off a loss, I think. Yeah, against... Uh, Give him Tyson Pedro. I would like that. Yeah. That's it, because Tyson Pedro is always scrappy. He's got he, a nice Kimura. Uh, he loses to Serkinov. He's got something lined up, though. He's fighting uh, Shogun. Okay, so Tyson Ooh. and Shogun. Yeah. So maybe... Uh, oh, that's fun. O OSP is who I say. That's my guess. OSP against Johnny Walker will be next. Because Johnny Walker is a fun fighter to watch. And a guy who comes off an amazing first-round win of a guy like Khalil usually gets a decent yeah. fight next. I I'm going to say OSP will be his next fight. L oh, let cool. me ask, uh, Chris, the producer, how old is this kid? I he's young. Yeah, he's 26. 26, yeah. Yeah. He's 26. All right. Yeah, and, that kid, and, and like super athletic. I like that. How yes. do you do in the contender series? Remind me of that, please. Uh, I think it was a unanimous, yeah, you had a unanimous decision win. Oh, excuse me, on All the right. contender series. That was in August. Um, Mom, but. it's good to get some new blood in there, man. I like that. That's a welcome addition.
That's yeah. really the beauty now, of the UFC the developing new fighters. You know, when oh, people thought... that kid that's calling today, guys? Oh, Ian Heinish? Ian. Yep. Yeah. Man, that was an impressive fight. Shit. He looked great. In and that he was it. Didn't he take the fight short notice? Yeah, he did. I, I don't yeah, know. November 9th, I think, is when That's he took the fight. super impressive. So. Against uh, Cesar Ferreira. Who is he supposed to fight? Uh, let me look Who do you replace? Yeah, well, he I have, I took have, it on I have, short I have, notice. Tom Breeze. He was going to fight Tom Breeze. Okay. Cesar Vajeda was. And Ian that was. kid oh, Vajeda, is a beast, man. man. That kid is a beast. I'm expecting big things from that kid that fought. Uh, uh, Ian, what's his last name? Heinish. Heinish, and he's Heinish. twelve and one. This was was again UFC debut. Yes, uh, a lot of debuts last night. Uh, or, or when Saturday did he night. lose? I'm sorry, guys. When did he lose? How long ago? Um, I don't have. Oh, I gotta, I, actually, I'll, I'll pull up his record. Um, hold on. Hold yeah, on. You yeah, have yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you in a minute, sweetie pie. Hold on. Mm-hmm. Hold on one second. <laughs> hold on, handsome. Listen, why he was so impressive? Uh, why I was so impressed with him is I'll tell you, Caesar. He was doing a lot of the right things. He yeah. had well-timed takedowns, and he was trying to advance. He was trying to do things the right way, but yet Ian wasn't having it. He just wasn't having it. Yeah. He, he was he was getting past the right way, and he got back up. He got taken down again. He got and and he was threatening with nice guillotines that that that, that I'm sure they could work the kinks out of. But he went from some bad positions, and he was relentless. That's what happened. I that was a closer fight than. It, uh, than, than it really looked like. In other words, um, Ian had him, like, and he was like, he was edging him out, but Caesar was fighting him like tooth and nail, and he was, he was trying his balls off. He just, that kid was just relentless, and by that third round, he didn't break him because Caesar was, was, looked like he was well prepared and, and it was tough enough to hang in there. But shit, man, if that's a five rounder, I don't think he's getting through it for sure. Yeah, that, guy, that kid Ian, I was I was super impressed with him. To answer your question, Matt, he lost. Uh, it was a first round submission arm triangle in September of 2017 to a guy named Marcus Perez. But when you look at his wins, he's won with a TKO, and then he had like four decisions in a row. Uh, submission, he wanted uh, he wanted a unanimous decision. Uh, another submission he wins, and then three knockouts in a row. He's, he seems to be able to beat you every way. He's more likely to knock you out than submit you, but he has a pretty varied way of winning. What's his wrestling background? Isn't it, uh, does he have a sick background in wrestling? You know, I don't know if he started. I know he spent time in prison uh, for drug smuggling. He, he he was a, a, yeah, he was a high school wrestler, but right. he ended up, I think he got expelled, if, I'm reading, if I read his story correctly, if I'm remembering right. In he Denver. got expelled his senior year. What? Which led him down a bad path, which kind of oh. ended up in prison and all this stuff. Well, you guys are talking to him later, yes? yeah? We are, yes. Yeah. Well, well, let him know that I like him. If it means <laughs> anything, it might mean nothing. He might not like me, but I thought that guy, I was impressed with him. What other fights, guys? Talk to me. Uh, let's see here. We talked about Cynthia Cavillo. Uh, Cavillo. Marlon oh, Vera. Shit. Let me, I know you talked about it. Sure, that's okay. Right? Well, you can talk about it. I was, I, listen, this is the deal with that fight. I like Cynthia a lot, and she's been she got suspended right for like weed or something. Yes, yeah, so she was suspended for six months for uh, and marijuana. She, and I, she I, missed I like her even more now, yeah. but that's not the point. <laughs> the, the point that the point is is that she's ferocious. I like her last. I, I was when I saw them. I like to watch when people are coming out of the tunnel and they're and they're walking to the cage. I like to study them and see where their heads at. And that girl that she fought was she undefeated or she had one loss. That I don't know. I think she had uh, one. Cavillo, Cavillo one had, Cavillo had one loss. That That's yeah. the guy six, behind the computer. She's, she's seven and one now. Cynthia's seven and one. Yeah. yeah, Cynthia's seven and one. Pollyanna, that was her second loss. Yeah. So, yeah. She had one. Uh, that was her second loss. But 
But Pollyanna, yep. what's her name? Yep. She was confident as F walking to that cage, singing, dancing, a little Brazilian dance. I've seen it all. I've seen it. I've seen it. <laughs> all right? Now, Cynthia, we haven't seen her in a while. That, she made her, dude, she, she just changed that. She showed that girl the levels in this game because that girl was confident. Confident, even when Cynthia grabbed the leg, confident. But just man, she just worked her way through, and and again, just super impressed with that girl. Yeah, so impressed that if we didn't have any, I was like, yo, we gotta just get her on the show. Can you get her on the show, Chris, the producer, please? Sure. All right, good. Hey, yeah, that was easy. No problem. <laughs> I never. Right, I, go ahead. What else are you gonna talk? I know you talked about her. Right? I never like anybody play. who's too happy. Going to the ring, or who does the? You know me. I don't like the countdown with Buffer when they're too into it and they mouth yeah. it with him. I'm like, oh, you're in deep shit. <laughs> it's not yeah. always that case, but I, I never yeah. like it. I I feel like no. uh, I hate. I mean, look, Jacare is just a fucking murderer, but I hate that alligator thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it drives me nuts. Jimmy's Jimmy's not as chipper as you think. Chipper, by the way. What's that? Stop it, Jimmy. I, I'm I, sorry. It's not that I like okay. enthusiasm. I don't mind that. You don't like enthusiasm. No, it's not that I like then enthusiasm. How do, how do you like me so much? I'm pretty fucking enthusiastic. You're not enthusiastic. You're just loud. <laughs> <laughs> Holy truth, though. I am fucking loud, Jimmy. Jimmy, I am loud. That's okay. I um, am. You know, I don't mind now enthusiasm. I'm, now I'm loud and lightheaded. I don't mind uh, enthusiasm, Matt. I just don't like when they do certain... Because there's guys that go in and, and do the thing, and they're... They, they, they're uh, like, I never liked JDS, where he went and point to the center of the ring when they didn't... I just... The cage. I don't like any of that... Stuff that just Show becomes the like showboating. I don't even you mind showboating. I just don't know why that that type of stuff makes me nuts. Huh. You know, some people it works for, some people it doesn't. You know who's got style? He's fucking the last style bender. Yes, he does. Oh, Dude, wow. Listen, <laughs> I seen his Instagram the other day, and it was something. There's a song. The song was like with smile, bitch. And there's a dude. He did a video. It's like I guess it's like it's like a shot of them going to the audience. Him. I'm not gonna do it justice. You gotta show it. Show it. Chris, the producer, show it to to Jimmy after this. And it's on his Instagram. So it's a it's a it's a, it's a thing of them showing him like in the front row or whatever at one of the UFCs. And then it like freezes and has that music playing like a rap song going like smile, bitch. And there's this like girl giving him like the people are smiling around him when he's smiling at the camera. And there's this one chick. Just giving him like the like the gas face, just looking at him with a stink eye. I'm not doing it justice, but so funny. I like Style Bender. If I was there, I'd hit the applause button for his Instagram. I like him too. Uh, I, yeah, I really enjoy. Okay. I'm looking. I'm looking just at his Instagram right now when you said watch that. Watch that later. Watch <laughs> it later. You'll laugh. Well, you know, I I, I was uh, happy to meet him at. Uh, when we were out in Vegas, and uh, I, I really, I'm yeah. a fan of his. I, I like him very much. Oh yeah, you can see the stink yeah. eye. Yeah, yeah, he was actually. Uh, <laughs> he, he met up with Dana in Australia. Where yes, Dana he was did there last week putting together uh, the Whitaker Gaslam fight, and you know, he's talking yeah. about him as a potential, um, you know, replacement if somebody if, yeah. if Gaslam gets hurt for that fight. I'll bet you that he goes there and is in shape or is, or is ready to travel there if he has to. Who does he fight next? Though, let's just say Whitaker. Gastelum, let's say that fight does happen. How is Yoel Romero? Didn't he have an orbital bone injury? Because I would love to see Yoel Romero against Israel Adesanya. Yeah, he's still hurt, I think. How about Paulo Costa against Adesanya? I, man, I like to see him versus anybody you're saying, because I think styles make fights, 
But that dude, his style, it, it just, I think, blends well with everybody. I mean, I, I just, I, and I think he's like a superstar in the making because yeah. I, I think he's, he's, he's very good on mic. He's got a good sense of humor. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's got a look about him. He's got the techniques. And, uh, and because, you know, the most important thing, he's a, a fucking bad motherfucker, man. What is he, 14 and 0? So, or 15 and 0? Yeah. Um, and oh, you know why they wouldn't fight Costa? Somebody pointed that out because I think Paulo Costa is 12 and 0. And I think that that two undefeated guys, they'd prefer not to match up because they know that one of them will no longer be undefeated. Yeah, they'll get there eventually. Yeah. I mean, that, that's like a fight you don't even have to rush. They're, sure. they're both obviously going to get to the top of that division eventually. So, yeah. you know. I have to pee. Do you guys want to keep talking? I'll run and piss. Uh, you know yeah, what? Actually, Matt, not to even oh, like. I really got to get rid of me. <laughs> well, yeah, because we have to. We do have to. Uh, we're going to talk to Brendan Fitzgerald in like three minutes, so it's actually a good time all to right, take a break. All right. I, uh, you're not going to hear it from me. You might hear it from the fans of the UFC Unfilled Army. I'm you sure. Hey, it's fine. Listen to me for, for the crowd. I understand. All right, listen to me, guys. Uh, Jimmy, go take a leak. Guys, All right, I, no, listen, I'll talk to you later. I really, I don't want to go. I really don't want to go. I will talk to you guys on Thursday, though. Yes, we'll talk to you. Oh, Have fun with your family, man. On Thursday? Yep, yep. Oh, good. I'll see. I'll talk to you guys Thursday. All right, Goodbye, pal. everybody. See you Bye-bye. soon. Bye. See you, man. Support for UFC Unfiltered comes from our friends over at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. Let's talk about buying a home. It is an extremely stressful but important purchase, and it's one of the biggest events of your life. But today's fluctuating interest rates can leave you with unexpected higher payments, which can turn a great experience into an anxious one. That's why Quicken Loans created their exclusive power buying process. Here's how it works. They check your income, assets, credit, They give you a verified approval. This gives you the strength of a cash buyer, making your offer more attractive to sellers. Once verified, you qualify for their exclusive rate shield approval. They're going to lock your interest rate up for 90 days while you shop for your new home. Then once you've found it, if interest rates have gone up, your rate stays the same. But if rates have gone down, here's the beauty. You get to keep the lower rate. Either way, you win. It's the kind of thinking you'd expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash unfiltered rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-day purchase transactions. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply based on Quicken Loans data in comparison to public data records. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org number 3030. What up, everybody? This is CJ McCollum from the Portland Trailblazers. And here's a little taste of what we talked about on this week's pull-up podcast. Very special mini post-game seven episode of pull-up, an epic game seven in Denver. Thirty-seven points back to back, essentially close out buckets. Why were you so successful last night? I think it just really came down to my demeanor and mindset. Empty the clip, leave nothing out there. I wanted to say I did everything in my power and I left all my bullets out there on the court and didn't bring anything home. How do you shift to a completely new animal, an absolute monster in the Warriors? In the playoffs, it just comes down to X's and O's and execution more so than anything else. The Warriors aren't going to run a lot of plays. They're going to run a lot of misdirection out of timeouts and late clock situations. But most of it's going to be mid-pick and roll. It's going to be pin downs and flares and things of that nature for Clay and Steph and a lot of transitions. So you have to guard the three-point line, get back in transition, and make it as difficult as possible on them. Don't forget to pull up. Subscribe and listen every week on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. After a stressful game, it's only natural to need some well-deserved rest. Upgrade your current sleep situation because Mattress Firm is offering the best bed deal of the year. Get a king bed for a queen price or a queen bed for a twin price for savings of up to 700 bucks. Plus, 
take home a free adjustable base up to a $699 value. That's $699 for free. You'll only find these deals during Mattress Firm's Memorial Day sale. So don't miss your chance to start sleeping like a pro. Shop now at mattressfirm.com slash sale. There's nothing worse than being uncomfortable in bed. It's, it's horrible. You're not rested the next day. You suck at work. Mattress Firm's Memorial Day sale is offering the best bed deal of the year. Save up to $700 when you get a king bed for a queen price or a queen bed for a twin price plus Take home a free adjustable base that's up to a $699 value free. Visit mattressfirm.com slash sale for more details. All right, we're back. Uh, I had to pee, and that was very quick. And we have uh, Brendan Fitzgerald, who is the uh, UFC uh, play-by-play commentator who did this last fight uh, we're going to talk to. And Chris just tried to call him. We like to come back with the person on the phone. It sounds professional. Yeah. Like it all just worked out. Like I pissed and then came back and he was on the phone. It's magic. I'm going to cut all this nonsense out. Anyway. No, 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 leave it. This is good stuff. <laughs> yeah, this is the real deal. Yeah, this is good stuff. This is what the fans like. Whereas Matt would say, the UFC unfiltered army. <laughs> I love that, the army. I, I, I think that's brilliant. I know. <laughs> it's funny. Matt's enjoying himself in Florida. I really, I really need a girlfriend or something to go travel with. This, that's or just some, me alone. Or some kids we could hire. Just to hang out with? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I'll take them. Brendan Fitzgerald. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, buddy. You're talking to Jim Norton, and you're talking to Jamie Crowder. Matt is uh, in Florida with his family. Oh, nice. Enjoying the holiday a little early. I guess so, yeah. Um, what are you doing now? Are you, are you still in Argentina? You're home. I'm on a plane. I just landed in Las Vegas. I'll be home in about uh, 45 minutes. Oh, but, you, uh, you're calling from the plane? I'm in a plane right now. We just landed in Las Vegas. Oh, wow. I love you. The, I love you. to the gate. So you're one of those guys, like, everybody's probably looking at you like, who is he talking to? <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe, but uh, nothing new. All right. So how long will you stay in town for? Because it is, it is uh, I guess, you stay for at least an extra day. What do you do in the day off? <clears throat> um, that's when you can have a beer and kind of sit back at the hotel. Yesterday we had uh, the football on. Oh, cool. The American football on down at uh, down in the hotel lobby, and uh, just kind of relax. When you have from South America shows, you have to wait until like ten, eleven o'clock at night to fly out of there. So, yeah, generally have another day to just kind of hang out. And uh, thankfully, the hotel was nice, and Buenos Aires is a pretty nice city. Why do you have to wait until late? I went to Brazil years ago. Um, why? I mean, are you on this? We were in the same time zone as New York. Why do you have to wait until late to fly out? I don't know. We were actually two hours ahead um, on this past trip. I think when we go back on daylight savings time, either they go ahead or they stay one ahead. I don't know. But when we went to Chile, uh, we had to wait until late at night on a Sunday. And then uh, the couple of times that I've been in Brazil, too, you've had, we've had to wait. I don't know uh, why it is. It seems to be how the schedule is these days. Oh, I'm so, so you, wait, you took off last night and you're just landing now from last night. Yeah, yeah, from last night. How long a flight is it? Um, Buenos Aires to Mexico City was about nine, nine and a half, and then another three and a half, four. Wow. Oh, my God. I had no idea it was that it's, far. It's, wow. it's down there, man. It yeah. is down there. Yeah. Okay. I thought it was like a three yeah. or four hour flight. Brazil, oh, yeah, you know what? Brazil might have been eight or nine. Yeah, that was a long right, flight, right, although right. I didn't call a fight there. I misbehaved horribly in Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only thing to do there. It really is, right? I mean, you know, it's, it's allowed. It's legal. Um, so listen, how long have you been calling fights? Because you do a great job, man. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. I've been doing it for about a year. I started doing it for the Contender Series, um, it, you know, 
the first season of the Contender Series, so July of 2017, and then uh, I've been calling UFC cards since last December, so we're coming up on about a year, but thankfully I've gotten a lot of opportunities to do it. It's been a blast. Now, how do they uh, how do they determine, okay, this guy is good enough to do this? Do you have to audition and call fights? Uh, how, how do they audition you for something like this? I auditioned. They were looking for Contender Series people, and I had just been laid off from ESPN in April of uh, last year. So um, my name was kind of out there because, you know, thankfully I was laid off as part of like a big news event. And the person who was kind of looking at uh, getting broadcasters for the next show uh, saw my name among, you know, others. And I guess there were about a dozen of us that they kind of brought in at different times. And basically they just flew us out to California and we called fights. we called them off a of TV, but we, you know, we were calling fights live as they happened. So while people were watching a pay-per-view or whatever, um, you know, we were in like a, a TV studio and they had the feed kind of uh, lined up through there and just just called fights off a of TV with a headset on. And then, uh, you know, they, they kind of took a look at them together with some of the executives and Dana and that sort of thing and wow. went over who might fit. And uh, I was one of the ones that fit and uh, thankfully they, they thought highly enough of me to, to keep calling me back. How nerve-wracking to know you're auditioning. I, I would panic and do it, you know, Ponzinibbio, fuck, he kicked him hard! <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna hit! <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like, I, I, all I knew going in was like, don't, don't be the one that's not excited enough. You know what I mean? Like, I wasn't gonna... I was going to try to just be like, you know what, it's about excitement, it's about energy, and, you know, these guys are getting hit in the face pretty hard. Uh, so, like, to me, it's just the raw reaction of it is kind of what belongs. You know, if you see somebody in the street getting, you know, clocked, you just, your, your reaction is just like, oh, shh, yeah. you know? Yeah. And uh, so I kind of tried to marry that to being a professional broadcaster in some way and uh, so far it's worked now what did, what sports did you do before you did MMA um, I, I was your traditional sports broadcaster I was at ESPN for three years before I was at the UFC and I did um, their college sports so mostly college football and college basketball and I did a lot of studio work I wasn't really a play-by-play announcer and then before that I was uh, you know the guy with the with the comb over and a suit on on the, you know, <laughs> 6 and 11 o'clock news doing the sports where you get four four minutes to do all the highlights of the local teams. And that's kind of like how I came up, small city to big city, started in Casper, Wyoming, uh, rural Texas, made a stop, Boston, and then got to the network level. So I've kind of uh, crisscrossed the country and, uh, you know, here I am enjoying this part of it. Well, it seems like, you know, like, like hockey seems like a hard sport to call because you're moving so fast and you can't see faces. Uh, MMA seems like a really difficult sport to, to do as well because there's so much happening. You have to know so much about it because Rogan kind of set the bar. I mean, him and Mike Goldberg were so great together. Yeah. But Joe, with all the technical stuff, really set the bar where it's like, wow, the guys really have to know what's happening. That's which is why Cormier is so good and Dominic Cruz and Paul Felder. Yeah, I agree. And like on my side of things is the announcer like me and you know john anik basically it's like i I like knowing the broad strokes but for the most part like if they're getting really technical i let those guys have it you know because that's where they're going to shine and that's ultimately what they're they're there for and like my job is more to call the action 
not talk too much, but frame the story also and do a lot of background. Like for me, some of the challenges are like a fight card of 13 fights means you got to know in-depth stuff about 26 different people. Right. And, um, you know, for, for the walkouts and then if there's fights where uh, if their background is wrestling and, and they, they wrestled in college and it kind of is relevant to how they fight and, and how they attack the game plan. Um, so that to me is the, is the most time consuming part of the preparation is just really pouring yourself into knowing everybody. If you get a 30 second knockout, there's a lot you've got to leave on the cutting room floor, but that's just part of it. Um, you know, you know, with, with whatever you have to deal with. How much does it suck if you prepare and you, you, you want to talk about something and the guy's college wrestling and then all of a sudden Paul Felder starts talking about it. And you're like, oh shit, no, I can't. <laughs> yeah, you know, sometimes we help each other out. Like there are things that I get from him and he gets from me and stuff like that, some insider stories. So it all works both ways. You know, it is one of those things where some guys sometimes have really cool stories where something with their family or something with their background and they go in and they just get starched in like 38 seconds and, and they're like face down on the canvas like well maybe i'll call another fight of theirs in the future so do you guys have do you have somebody feeding you stuff i'm sure you have like a laptop in front of you do you have somebody like putting stats up on your laptop or any of that stuff uh we do have stats next to us like a, a stat board it's kind of unofficial numbers so we use those um, I thought I would use a laptop, but I don't. I, I found it to be too confusing, and I know John doesn't either. You just got to have, like, your notes, and, and um, I print them out, and he handwrites his. But if you're, like, fishing through stuff with a computer, it's like it moves way too quick to try to fuss with that. So it's kind of refreshing that you don't have a computer um, to rely on. But, like, we have producers that you know, might remind us of things or things that they know, like, Hey, keep in mind, this guy's coming off a knee injury or, you know, just certain things like that. Um, for the most part, I like to not rely on the assistance, but at the same time, it's helpful sometimes when it's there and our producers do an awesome job of like kind of weaving the story together and, and making the whole broadcast work. Yes. Uh, and, and you just said producer does a good job and our, our producer just smiled um, knowing that I would never say that. <laughs> <laughs> you can rest assured you'll never hear that in this room. He just wanted to hear those words come out of somebody's mouth. <laughs> now, uh, what, how did you have Ponzinibbio Magni scored? Um, well, that was dominant start to finish. Ponzinibbio just, he was landing way more shots. They were very powerful. He quickly took Magni just out of the equation with the leg kicks. You know, Magni's team was asking him to go forward with the jab in between rounds and things like that. And it was like, it doesn't matter if he goes first. Like, there is no power on, on his stuff after he kind of got hit early on. So it's one of those things. After the third round, it was very clear that Magni was going to need a finish because he had lost all three of those rounds. Yeah. And uh, my partner, Jimmy Smith, was like, it's not a matter of if he lost them. It's a matter of how many 10-8s on the scorecards yeah. there were. So, you know, it kind of needed a miracle, and, um, you know, it just wasn't there. I mean, Ponzinibbio is just – he's a powerful dude, man. He, he went he toe-to-toe went -to -toe with Mike Perry, took some of his best shots, and was, was had his wits about him for all three rounds. And, uh, you know, he, he just overpowered Magny. And uh, it was cool that he got a finish. It was cool in that setting, in his home country, and for the UFC to be there for the first time. I know he had been like – 
really uh, relishing a chance to, to fight there and for him to put on a performance like that after he got the opportunity, really cool thing to be a part of. Yeah, and, and you know, that that first uh, shot to the eye, whatever it did to Magny's eye, and they said it wasn't a finger, it wasn't, an illegal, you know, it was, it wasn't a poke, it was just a punch, he was protecting that eye. And uh, Ponzinibbio, what, is he 27-3? Yeah. Uh, the fact that, 20. you know, I'm yeah, sorry, God. 28 and 3. Oh, 28 and 3 after that win. So yeah, it's like it's yeah. amazing that more people like UFC fans know who he is. But a guy like that like he, he should be such more uh, a common name and such more of a bigger name fighter than he is. And I don't I don't know why he's not. I know there's 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 a few guys like that in the UFC and like now that I've poured myself into the sport, I kind of am talk, you know, talk to my friends and and I'm like, listen, I know that you're like a Conor McGregor and Ron. You know, there's there's sure. those sports fans where they only know the crossover names, but there are some incredible athletes, and like he is one of them, man. He is so good, and uh, you know, to be only ranked number ten after six straight wins, so now he's got seven straight wins. He's still probably going to have to fight one more before he gets a possible title shot because there's quite a logjam. But um, yeah, man, he's impressive. And what I like about him, too, is he's just such a nice guy. Like, he's the man. I saw him at the hotel yesterday before I left. He's great during the week, fight the week. He's great. Like, he's, he's a down-to-earth, really nice dude and uh, happens to be able to hit really hard as well. Yeah, you know, it's funny you said that one more fight. I agree with you. He, he's not just going to get a title shot because not enough people know who he is, unfortunately. And, and there are some great fighters ahead of him. But I, I want to see him, and I bored everybody by saying this three times now, but I want to see him, him against Wonderboy. I, I would like to see a lot. We were talking about different names, too. Wonderboy is certainly one that came up for Ponzinibbio as a possible next opponent. Dos Anjos and Usman are fighting in a couple of weeks, I think. The winner of that fight might make sense for Ponzi next as well, or the loser of that fight, knowing that if Usman wins, he's probably just going to wait to probably get his shot at the title after uh, Woodley and Covington. So, yeah, there's some moving parts at 170, but it is interesting, and Ponzinibbio just threw his name right in that mix. Is there any now? Is there a Woodley Covington uh, date or or any any you know rumblings about that? Because I definitely think Colby deserves the next shot at Tyron. Yeah, there's no there's no rumblings about that, and. Uh, you know, that's, it's not a confirmed, like, definitely next shot or whatever, but, you know, Colby had the interim belt. Tyron just defended his belt. There's a lot of bickering and stuff, so I think it's just you'd think that that would be the next matchup, but uh, I know that Woodley, after his fight uh, in September, needed some sort of surgery or something like that, or he was going to be on the shelf until early 2019, so I think they're still trying to plot out when uh, when they put that belt on the line next. And uh, Johnny Walker, very, very impressive against, uh, I mean, who, who saw Khalil Roundtree get knocked out in the first round? Whew. Yeah, he was the favorite, too. And, like, Johnny Walker's an athletic dude who is six foot six at 205. Like, if he can, if he can continue to put it together, uh, that guy is really, really dangerous. And in that division, and you can win three, four fights in a row and be in a title shot. We saw Vulcan Uzdemir do it last year. So yeah. if, he gets another, if he gets another few opportunities and makes quick work, that guy could be a rising star. That is true. Don't forget, though, with Uzdemir, uh, Gustafson was out and Jones was out, too. Now those guys are both yeah, back. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. I, who who yeah, do you think it is, is? But it is a thin division. It, it is. It's getting a little better, though. I mean, you know, Dominic Reyes is, is getting more and more exciting to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And uh, Ilya Latifi, of course. And, Anthony and, Smith. Uh, Anthony Smith is, is, is really, uh, you know, number guy. three now. Um, who yeah. do you think this guy fights next? Because, again, Shogun is fighting Tyson Pedro. So who do they give Johnny Walker to next? Because he's young. He oh, had an know, impressive, explosive win. Yeah, he was impressive. I don't think he gets a ranked opponent next. I don't have a name. I can't, I can't think of somebody off the top of my head. I haven't actually thought about that. But 
I think that he's maybe – I don't think he gets a ranked guy next. I okay. think that he'll get maybe one or two more fights outside of the top 15. And then, you know, if he wins those two, then he's probably looking at being ranked himself, and then they'll start putting him against some opponents with numbers. And, uh, you know, we'll just see how it goes. I think that um, – Obviously, it was a good result or whatever, but I don't think they'll rush him right into it. That was his UFC debut, so sometimes they'll, they'll put him against other guys to see how he does um, in different settings, different scenarios, so we'll just have to see. Yeah, maybe you're right, because, again, uh, Khalil Roundtree is not type top uh, 15 either. Uh, I, 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 I had him. I said OSP. I think they gave him next. Maybe you're right. Maybe they won't. Yeah, probably not next. I don't think that that he's that high yet. I think that he absolutely could get there, and it, you know, might not even take him that long to do so. But uh, yeah, probably another opponent or two outside the top fifteen, unless it's a short notice or right. he's like filling in for somebody. Yeah. What yeah. now? What do you, uh, you? What card are you doing next? Do they tell you how far in advance they tell you? Do you know what you're doing all year? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Um, I know. I'm doing the Ultimate Fighter finale, and that'll be my last play-by-play for this year. Okay. Um. Because then after that's kind of big shows. Then we got the, uh, the pay per view in Toronto, which you know John will do. Milwaukee's a network show, and then in Vegas is uh, one of one of the biggest fights of the year. So John Anik will handle those ones. I'll get the Ultimate Fighter finale. This one, uh, what have I done? I did Moncton. Then I had a week off. Then I did Denver, Buenos Aires. Now I'll have Thanksgiving off, and I'll do uh, I'll do the Ultimate Fighter finale. So four and six is pretty. Uh, pretty busy stretch on my calendar so then i'll uh, get some time to relax after that now or, is that is, is ortega holloway in toronto that, that's uh when yeah. is that yes december 8th yeah december that december 8th all right well i hope that fight happens because holloway's had a when's the last time he fought <laughs> he's had, his he's last had, fight was last december in detroit at, yeah, uh, that was a while ago 218 and he he looked good doing it but yeah there's you know, and then he was going to step in on Brooklyn. He was going to save Brooklyn, but they decided he couldn't make 155. The commission said that anyways. Wasn't he close? Um, he had a 31-pound. Didn't he have 31 pounds to cut or something, and he was actually on yeah, his way to making it? I think so. He gets pretty big. Like, he wanted to make it. He thought he was good, but the New York commission said no. They're, They're one of those, yeah, one yeah, of those tricky ones. New York and... Uh, New York and California seems to be the, the kind of tricky ones to get around. You, you know, they're not going to... They're a little more strict on who makes the weight and how they make it. Uh, so Holloway wanted to keep going, but they said no. So they called him off that one. And then, of course, in the summer when uh, they didn't know what was going on with his concussion-like yeah. symptoms. So I hope for the best that he's cleared up, that he can make the weight, that he's, his head is all good because, uh, man, what a fighter. So much fun to watch, and I love uh, Ortega, too. Now, is the New York Commission, do you, do you think they're just stricter, or is there something behind them being difficult? I don't know. I mean, like, I just watched that uh, thing on UFC Fight Pass the other day. Like, I hadn't totally realized the battle that it took to just get MMA legalized in the state. But yeah. It took them until 2016. So, um, like, with that came, I'm sure, a laundry list of things where it, that being a new sport to the state, then some of the lawmakers and, uh, you know, the people that, that are in the positions of power there are going to let saying, like, if we're going to do it, then we're going to do it our way. We're not going to be dangerous about it. We're going to take every single precaution. And California is that same way, too. You know, California, with the weight, like, they can, they can call you a couple of months in advance and, and uh, make you, like, weigh in in front right. of them and, you know, determine on their standards if, if you can safely make the weight and that sort of thing. So it's a bit different. Well, New York wouldn't let Paul Felder fight uh, 
against uh, Khabib because they said, well, yeah. he's not ranked. I mean, it's like, get the fuck out. Like, you know, it's a, it's a, I almost... Then, you know, he was ranked about four days later. Next rankings came out, he was number 15. I almost feel like they're so, on purpose because they're so pro-boxing. Again, maybe that's just me being paranoid, but I, I, I feel like uh-huh. there's a, a purposefulness to it. Uh, yeah, it's definitely, in my experience, it's definitely been a, a lot more difficult here uh, to get the fights th- that you want. Definitely, 100%. Yeah, so I, I think yeah. there's something behind I mean, There is it. something to it. There is something to it. I don't think you're off, Jim. Well, Brandon, listen, we have, uh, we, we have uh, Ian Heinish calling in in about two minutes, who I, I know oh, one nice. very impressive and fascinating story. So, listen, thanks for talking to us, man, and we'll definitely love to have you on again if you wish. Thanks, Brandon. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it, guys. Cheers. All right, keep up the great uh, play-by-play work, okay? Thanks, man. All right, thanks, take, man. All right, be good, up. buddy. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Yeah, wow, he got pretty good reception for us. We, we get fighters that are calling from fucking hotels when we can't hear them, and this guy's <laughs> on a plane. He's in turbulence, and we got a perfect reception. Yeah, it's fine. I think the cell phones end up being better a lot of the time. I think it's it's going outside of that, that, you know, using the hotel phone or... No, hotel phones are always fine. sets up a line or whatever. The cell phones always end up being No, better. because they're always driving. You know, cowboys always, oh, I'm going parasailing. We're trying to talk to them. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> so yeah, where are you right now? I'm jumping out of a plane. Yeah, I'm on a Bluetooth. <laughs> My phone's on the beach and I'm in the ocean. Yeah, I forget who we talked to. Maybe it was Camaro. He was like in a convertible. Literally like on his way back from the gym. Yeah, he like, probably oh. had a hat on too. Yeah. yeah. He's oh, a stylish sure. dude. Yeah. yeah. I enjoyed him very much. Brendan uh, Fitzgerald. Those guys are always good. Guys who call play-by-play. I mean, most of the fighters are good, too, but the play-by-play guys are always good talkers. Yeah, I think it, I was, you know, I didn't get to say it to him, but uh, I like that uh, there's a different dynamic. Because, you, you know, you could get people like myself who've been fighting or been in the game, but it's also good to have people from outside of it. Like, and again, on, obviously, on a professional level like himself, where he's calling out actual sports, it's not necessarily that specific. Yeah, but that, that's good. I think there's a good balance between that. And he and he had the best seats in the house for that. Uh, I mean, every card, it was one decision, and it was a it was a, a real fist fight, which which was Heinish. Uh, yeah. How do you say his last name? Who Heinish fought? I said it wrong last time, and you corrected me by saying it properly. Oh, Cesar Fajeda. Oh, Fajeda. Okay. okay Fajeda. Mutanche. Oh my God! Yeah. You getting all? I don't know how he does. Like fucking Alex Trebek, it makes me sick. He gets every name right. He knows right. all the. I'm really bad. I just, honestly, it's like I just listen to guys like Anik and whatever Brendan Fitzgerald. They they always get it right. So no, no, I do to too, but that. then I forget. Yeah, like I if do. I was talking thirty Hello? seconds later. Uh yes. Do, is this Ian? This is Ian Heinish. Hi, buddy. How are you? This is uh, UFC Unfiltered. You're talking to uh, Jim Norton and Jamie Crowder. Hey, Ian. Hey, how's it going? Ma- Matt Serra is within Florida with his family, but he made me promise to tell you that he likes you and he likes watching you fight. He's a big fan. Nice. Glad to hear that. So, yeah, congratulations, man. Big, you I'm are a big, big fan, fan of Matt? Of oh, good. Um, congratulations. Yeah, I love Matt. You looked great. Uh, your, your UFC you. debut. How did you find out that they were calling you up? You know, I was, um, I was training. I was basically just in town training. I was hoping to get on the Denver card, and, my, and it wasn't looking like I, that was going to happen. And I was literally just about to start kind of pulling back on the training, and I hadn't sparred in two, two, two or three weeks by then. And then uh, I got the call Thursday morning, and my manager said, hey, Ian, you want to fight Cesar Ferreira? And I called Nate Marquardt. I called Anthony Smith, and they, uh, they gave me some advice, and I, I, I took the fight. So where were you at with weight when this happened? Uh, you know, I'm I'm pretty good at that, and plus I kind of was training like I had a fight. So, you know, I stay around 2, 205. You know, I don't really fluctuate and get real fat when I'm not fighting. Um, and I, I basically 
I enjoy eating healthy, so I, you know, I splurge a little with some ice cream and, and whatever, but I, I usually stay around 2, 205, so it's never too hard for me. And, uh, you know, obviously we all are, are aware of uh, what an interesting life you've had. Um, you know, when you, you were, you were what, on the high school wrestling team when you were growing up in Denver? Yes. And then you wind up getting, why did you get expelled? Um, you know, it was just, I was a habitual offender. I was just getting in trouble for all kinds of stuff, anywhere from like ditching class to, I drove my dad's work truck to the school and got searched and there was a knife in there. So they made a big deal of that. And then I smelled like marijuana. That was the last straw. Oh, wow. Just, is that, I guess that's enough in these, just to say that you smelled like it, which isn't ironic because now in Denver, it's like, you know, everyone smokes pot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, everyone grows pot now. <laughs> They they were just, you know, I was just uh, constantly in trouble. They called me a habitual offender, so they, the you know, I just got in too much trouble, and they were sick of it, and there was nothing my wrestling coach could do to help anymore because he was also the athletic director, but uh, I just pushed it too far. Now, do you think, because after that, I know you, you, you kind of went, uh, went the wrong way, and you started selling drugs and ecstasy. How long after that did you really start selling drugs? And do you think that if you hadn't gotten expelled – that things would have turned out differently, or do you think you still would have headed down that road? Yeah, I mean, if I didn't get expelled then, it probably would have been a little bit later. I was uh, doing small-time peddling um, some cocaine back then and a little bit in high school and after, but once I got expelled and I had some petty warrants after me and I was just annoyed with, I did not want to do any probation or even go to court, so I had a girl that wanted to take me to prom and she moved to Canada, Vancouver, and that's when I've, she's like, come out. And I flew out there, fell in love with it, got a job, stayed out there for a while. And that's when I met my connections for the, the, the big amount of ecstasy I was getting shipped to me from there after that. So I feel like either way, I was, I was going down that path. And, I mean, it all happened for a reason. And how did you get busted uh, selling ecstasy? Sammy the Bull got busted, too. I, I want to say his was in Arizona, though. Uh, how, how did you get busted uh, selling? How'd they get you? You know, I think I was about seven months into, you know, actually moving some real weight, getting 2,000 pills a week. And then eventually a guy drove down with 100,000 and was giving me 10,000. And I just, we we were hanging out with these two girls and I was kind of dating one. My brother was uh, dating the other. And I call him my, my, he's my blood brother. He's my best. He was my best friend at the time. And um, he still is. And, and it was kind of weird. She'd always ask if she could purchased some pills we never told her but she wasn't stupid she hung around us enough yeah and eventually she wanted a thousand pills at a great price and she kept bugging me and i said you know what if you drive then we can do that and we went to a walmart parking lot and some sketchy character got in the car i could tell something was up we went to pull out to go through the mcdonald's drive through and we got smashed front and back by the drug task force team pistol to my temple laying on the pavement floor so who set you up was it him or her you know, that I 100% do not know exactly. I'm guessing her, she was involved, but, I mean, definitely he was uh, undercover or whatever. Oh, okay. He was trying to save his own ass, yeah. And and so you, you do that, and then you decide, I'm not going to face trial. I'm going to get the hell out of here. Yeah, you know, I'm 19 years old, and I've always had dreams of traveling, and I just did not – it was not in my uh, – 
my vision to be sitting in prison for four to six years. So I was just like, no way is this going to happen. If I, if there's any way I can avoid this, I'm gonna, I posted bail. I went to the post office. They issued me a passport. I paid extra money to get it shipped in two weeks. And, you know, I, I packed everything I had. I stayed in a hotel. They were looking for me and I hopped on a Greyhound, went to Indiana, said goodbye to my mom's family, went to uh, New York, said goodbye to all my dad's family. Um, and in Long Island, Huntington, and then we hopped on. I hopped on a plane JFK to Amsterdam with a few thousand bucks in my pocket, and didn't know anyone. So wait, they're they're looking for you, and I guess you, what did you have? You, did you not show up for court um, in in that two week period? And I'm surprised that they didn't have you on some kind of no fly list. Yeah, you know they. It was weird because they had me on. Like I had to check in with them, and so did my my buddy. We had to, I was on bail, you know, there was conditions of it. Right. And I think it was like UAs and stuff or whatever. And I know I pushed it to the very end. I was cooperating and then I eventually just didn't. And they, they actually caught my, my, my friend, took him in and I stayed in a hotel one night and just kind of said goodbye. My, my mom and dad were actually supportive of it. And then I hopped on a Greyhound and, and took off. And yeah, I mean, I was ready. I mean, I definitely thought there was a possibility I was going to get taken in, in the airport and it didn't happen. So I don't know how, but how scary was out. that getting on that plane with, with your passport and they're scanning you in and, and, and how, and how much are you like, Oh fuck. I, I don't know if I'm going to get out of here. Yeah. You know, when you leave the country, they don't really check you too hard. You know, they look at your passport, they look at your ticket they let you go through security uh, and then when I landed in Amsterdam, you know, they had like their customs there. So I wasn't sure if they were in communication with the American police and saw that I had a felony warrant, but apparently they, they're not in communication. Now coming back into the country is a different story. Yes. And I so, want yeah, I, go ahead. Oh no, sorry. I, I wanted to ask you, cause when you get there, uh, how long were you in Amsterdam on the run? And when you're on the run, is there, any, is there a moment's peace for you mentally while this is happening? You know, the peace wasn't really there. Every night I was, almost every night I was having these dreams of just getting chased, you know, by by police and sirens. And I remember every dream would come to the same ending. I would be on a cliff and I would look back and it was basically, they were about to take me in and then I would jump. And right before I hit the, the ground, I would just wake up and my heart would be racing. I'd be sweating. And, and you know, that kind of reminded me to stay on my toes and so there wasn't too much peace. I was kind of always looking over my shoulder. I stayed in Amsterdam for about four months. I blew all my money. I was living in hostels. My cousin from New York had a friend in Belgium who was living out there who took me in for a little while until I got a job at an Irish pub and got back on my feet and stayed there for about six months, then England for about five months, and then I ended up in the Canary Islands, Spain. Um, how'd you wind up in the Canary Islands? It was just your travels just kind of took you there? Yeah, when I was in Belgium, I met this crazy English guy who said he could get his jobs, and uh, we fell out with the bar at, that we were working out because that's where we both worked. We went to England. He was just a complete uh, lunatic, kind of. He, he didn't really have a family and stuff, and uh, he left. And then I, I was asking around the English people because the weather was terrible. I hated it. It was rainy. It was cold. It was dark really early. And they said, well, go to Spain. They speak English. It's beautiful beaches. Uh, you'll love it there. And so I went to the Canary Island, Spain. It's a very popular vacation destination for Europeans. It's like the Cancun of Europe. Right. 
So that's how I went there. Okay, and so and and they busted you. I know you you got into some heavier stuff there as well. Yeah, so I lived there for about four or five months, and you know, eventually I just couldn't afford rent even, which was only like thirty euros a week to sleep in this bed in this house in the ghetto and just with curtains around my bed because I was working at the clubs and they pay me eight drinks when I'm working and four drinks when I get off. You get paid in alcohol? Like a year. Basically, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you get a euro You get a euro per head that you bring into the club. You're oh. just doing PR work. like. But yeah, they're basically just getting you really drunk every night. And a few months of that, I'm a full-blown alcoholic. You know, I'm sleeping on the beach. I have to dig a hole in the sand when it's windy to stay warm and and it is bad, man. And then this American guy, his dad was from Cuba. He's from Miami. He said, "Hey, man, you know we stick together. You know you're you're a good guy. I can tell you, you got a potential." I moved in with them, and you know after a few months of me sobering up, hitting the gym hard, uh, the dad sat me down and he was like, "Hey, hey, Gringo, you know you ever wanted to make some real money?" And I'm like, "Yeah, of course." He's like, "You ever been to Colombia?" And I was like, "No." And Basically, it all started from there, going trips from Colombia to Spain, Venezuela to Spain, Aruba. And you were swallowing balloons of Coke, right? Yeah, we would get the merchandise, we'd pack it up, and we'd wrap it ourselves and put some special paper on it. And yeah, we would. Uh, there was a group of us, and we would try to swallow a kilo and bring it back and you know what is it uh, let me ask you well, sorry when you when you're doing this now you you wrap it up you, you take it you put it in a regular balloon you tie it up what other precautions do you take so it doesn't burst in your stomach no i mean you're if you're doing this you got to be safe especially you know you're not you're not just you're dealing with your life here so now first you compress it into a, like a 10 gram brick and then you put plastic around it and then you put a black electric tape around it then you put it in the surgical, four layers of surgical gloves. You put it in the fingers, pull it, tie it with floss. And then uh, you put this special paper that passed the x-rays at the time. And so there's about seven layers on it. So, I mean, it's, it's, it was safe, safe enough for us at the time. But, uh, yeah, that's basically, it was definitely a process. It took, you know, 48 hours to get it wrapped up. Oh, wow. And then you swallow it. And, um, like uh, this, you just can't shit until you get where you got to go. Right. Yeah, basically. <sighs> yep. And sometimes it's hard cause it's like 20 hour trip and yeah. And you just, you know, you, it hurts your stomach. You drink, you swallow 10, you walk around, swallow 10 and you know, and then you hop on, you drink a bunch of whiskey, forget what you even did and go on the flight and just act like a drunk American tourist. Wow. So what do you have? Did you have any times where you were like, I'm not going to make it. I'm either going to shit or I have to throw up from, for, for some other reason. Um, I mean, yeah, it was definitely hard. We also had some pills that we'd take that would make us not shit if we were getting to that point. But no, if you, if, if you throw up, I mean, you're probably going to die because it's going to burst. Not because it's going to burst, but it could get lodged in oh. your esophagus sideways. Wow, what a what you know, a you're sw- yeah, it's a, it's an interesting way to earn money, but scary. You're turning a thousand dollars into like seventy thousand euros. So, and you did that for how long? Um, about a, a year and eight months. Oh wow! And you finally what what happened? An X-ray machine finally busted you? Yeah, well, we got pulled in, uh, which was kind of normal because after all, we were past an X-ray machine. We got 
I felt I was getting sloppy because I felt invincible, and that's never good. And so we were taking trips too frequently, so many stamps in the passport, it was looking suspicious. Got pulled into the questioning room in the Canary Islands. Now, this airport is an older airport, and they don't have an x-ray in the airport. So they actually took us to the hospital. And that x-ray is a lot stronger than the one that they have at the airport in Colombia and Venezuela. And so I was confident we were going to pass, but they just could see a tiny bit of it. And we were in the hospital there, and the police said, you have drugs in, in, in balls in your intestines, and they threw the cuffs on us. So what now, when the police get you like that, how do they get the evidence? Do they just watch you 24 hours? Yeah, it's, it was terrible. They give you this green drink, which is just laxatives. Oh. And you're, you're just, yeah, and they wouldn't give you food. And they're like, oh, that's dangerous. And we're like, no, it pushes it out. It was, it was a rough 48 hours of just being watched. And they constantly try to make you go to the bathroom. I mean, it, there was nothing. It was pretty ugly. And there was no way to, to sneak into the bathroom? Huh. No, no. Oh. They, they, you are under their full watch 24-7. How horrifying. So you go to jail, and, and were you training in jail? Yes. Yeah, so when I got settled into prison, I went and there was a wrestling program. And usually it takes like three months to get in these athletics. And I ran straight up to the coach, and I was like, hey, man, I want to wrestle. I told him in Spanish, and he's like, all right, we'll put your application in. And I pointed to my cauliflower ear, and he's like, all right, cool, let's go. And he let me right on the team, and, you know, I'm wrestling full-time. It's like, it's called Lucha Canaria. It's a form of wrestling they do in Africa, and it's uh, basically you're wearing a gi rolled up shoulder to shoulder. You grab their, their pant leg, and it's best out of three takedowns in a gladiator pit. And then there's no weight classes. You just go to the next guy, and you, it's elimination. And whatever team has has uh, players left after, they win. So I really excelled at that. And then they had a boxing program, or they had a kickboxing boxing program. And I just trained full time. I did weightlifting, uh, learned Spanish, went to church, found God, and you know, it actually re rehabilitated me. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah, so you legitimately turned your life around and found God and, and, and this new life in a real way. Yes, absolutely. So what happens? You come back to the country. Do you know it's time to come back to the U.S.? Yeah, so first off, they brought teams in from the streets, professional teams, and me and one other American that I was locked up with, we beat the whole team that they actually make money on the streets. And the president of the federation wrote the warden a letter to tell him keep the Americans because they want to sign us when we get out. The warden was really racist against Americans. He didn't like that we were dominating in their sport. He shipped me and him to the north of Spain, and where we didn't know anyone. And you know, I I, I was wearing contacts, and no one could bring me my contacts anymore. And so I was basically walking around blind in there. But then they we boxed full time. They had a great boxing program, which I got six fights in the prison. You know, the whole prison would come, the guards would put money on it, it was like the movies. And then they extradited me back to JFK. Uh, they, I signed a paper, I won't come back to Europe for five years. They cut my sentence uh, by one-third, and they shipped me back to JFK. And basically, I knew I wasn't uh, going to be free very long. When you walked in, uh, they, what did they do? They saw your passport, and obviously a red flag came up. Yeah, they scanned my passport. They asked me, sir, how long have you been out of the country? And I said, a while. And she said, what's a while? And I said, five years. And then 
as that as I was saying that, she scanned my passport and she said, "Sir, come with me." Yeah. And they pulled me into the immigration room. I was there for like forty eight hours. Wow. They were trying to figure out my charge and if I could just go back and handle it there. And then they realized it was a big deal. And then they took me to Jamaica Queens and threw me in the jailhouse for like three or four days over the weekend was just disgusting. But at least you can fight though. At least you can handle yourself. So, you know, it's, it's gross, but at least you, you have, you had experience being locked up. So, you know, you can handle yourself if you have to. Yeah, totally. And I was definitely in the mindset. I mean, that's why, once I got sentenced to Rikers, they, I went to the courthouse. I mean, it was bad, though. Like, I mean, I didn't have to deal with stuff like this in Spain. Like, I mean, there was, like, blood on the wall, shit everywhere. You know, heroin junkies are puking. Like, pimps are in there. And it's just, like, you can't. There's not even enough room to lay down or sit down. Everyone's standing around each other. And people are just circulating in and out. And they're just calling people. And they keep skipping my name. And I would ask them, hey, what's going on? They'd be like, you're a special case. Shut up. And I, I, you know, three days in there. And thankfully I had a really warm jacket. Cause I remember it was freezing cold. It was when that huge freeze hit New York. All right. And finally I had a, I had that court hearing and the judge said, Mr. Heinish, you have no chance of bail and you're going to be held as a fugitive in Rikers Island until you were extradited back to Colorado. And my public attorney told me go to protect custody because Rikers is, is not a place for a white boy. And I was kind of had the mentality, yo, throw me with the wolves. I'll end up leading the pack because I, I, I just did two and a half years. And right. I was at the point where I just, I didn't care. And, you know, I didn't realize though what I was getting myself into. So they will give you protective custody if you want it. Yeah. All the white boys would go there, which I couldn't believe. And I actually seen them and I went off on them. So when you walked in, saying, what was it like? Yeah. Man, just, you know, everyone's coming to my cell, trying to sell me things, this and that, trying to get my story, you know, just not leaving me alone. But luckily, I spoke Spanish fluent at this time. And, uh, you know, the the, the Latins kind of took me in. So I was I was grateful for that. And you had a phone. Um, how did you get your hands on a phone? <laughs> um, so that was kind of... Um, I, I said I, I had a phone calls, and that's what got me into a fight. But I actually didn't have a phone there. I had a phone in the Canary Islands, but no, I did not have a. That came out wrong uh, in there. That was oh. uh, a little miscommunication on that. So you had a phone call or whatever. Now you had a fight with uh, with the guy who wanted to fight you for a phone. Yeah, well, he he said, hey, because you know they trade you phone calls for chips or whatever. Yeah. And I was just, they were taking me to court and not telling me anything. And I just was having a bad day. And I was just like, I was just like, nah, nobody's using my phone. Do something about it. And then that started up a fight. Didn't they put a hit out on you? Yeah, I was told that I was uh, not going to be around much longer. Very scary. I mean, even if you know you can fight, to kind of be there and be isolated and to, and to know that there's more than one person looking to stab you. Uh, very, very frightening. How did you avoid that? You know, I literally stayed up all night praying and, you know, trying to think of any weapons I can make or any tactics I could do. And, 
you know, the an hour be, an hour or two before the doors opened, the U.S. Marshal came in, you know, by God's grace, and they took me out of there, and that saved my life. And uh, are you still sober? Yes, sir. Oh, that's great, man. Uh, it was really, it's a very interesting story. And, uh, you know, I was really, really happy. You looked great. Was there any shot, by the way, just to ask you one question about that fight, was there any, in the, in the first round, uh, you were squeezing pretty tight. And were, were you worried at all that you were going to blow your arms out at the end of that first round? Um, I mean, I wasn't thinking about that at all because I was pretty close to getting the submission. And then, yeah, but definitely coming into the second round, um, my arms are feeling a little bit like jello. But it bounced back pretty quick. Do you have anybody? Uh, I, I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I mean, I, I, I pulled that arm bar as hard as I could. I popped his arm twice. I thought I, 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 I mean, I think they told me it, it, he, he fractured his arm or broke it. But I mean, I popped it twice and I almost let go for a second. And I saw he's still moving because I thought the fight was would be over. But man, Caesar's tough. Man, he he kept fighting. Yeah, I mean that that was a great, great fight. Uh, I mean, you clearly won, but it was still uh, he was extremely tough. And you must be, I mean, again, called up on short notice. You were just kind of ready to go, and uh, and now they they're going to want to see you fight again. You have an interesting backstory. Um, do you have anybody on the horizon, or have they mentioned anybody to you, or do you have any thoughts? Uh, yeah, you know, I heard David Branch needs an opponent in January, and you know, I just want to continue to to work my way up. Obviously, I want I want to make some top ten money and uh, obviously get a new contract. And yeah, I, I heard he's looking for an opponent, so nothing personal on him. But sure, I you know I'm here to fight the best, and you know I I mean I left that fight with some bumps and bruises that can be healed in a week or two, and I'm I'm gonna be back in fight camp. And uh, if he if he still needs an opponent. Uh, let's do it. You know, Branch is very tough, and and after that loss to Jared Cannonier, you know he's gonna you're, you're gonna get a very very uh, motivated David Branch. Definitely. No, I mean, that's fine. No, our producer wrote this question, and he wants me to ask it because he thinks it's a really beautifully <laughs> phrased <think> question. It's <laughs> a crafted a nice question. question yeah. Chris. Now, did it feel like redemption in a way to be traveling to South America? And he writes Argentina. To realize your UFC dream, rather than traveling to South America, and he writes Colombia, to traffic drugs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was um, it was funny because you know some of the smells and like you know I speak Spanish fluent. It, it was just like, whoa, I'm here, I'm here on business, but I'm here on legal business. Like this is this is amazing, and uh, it was just kind of a it was kind of funny because I got pulled in randomly searched on the way back in Miami and I was just and my girl was there and I'm just laughing we're both just laughing I'm like yo I don't do that anymore and yeah I mean it was funny to serve I haven't been to South America since I was trafficking so to come back to make my UFC debut for the first time the UFC has been in Argentina it was such a surreal feeling and a dream come true yeah it's so nice as well because when you know you didn't do anything wrong, it's like if your girlfriend goes, I want to go through your phone, and you know you haven't been cheating. Like, here, go ahead, look. Take an hour. Enjoy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and you kind of laugh at him. And it's funny because he's, like, trying to watch your reaction because that's his job to see if you look nervous when he's doing it. And, you know, I just know the inside and out because I've been there. So it was really funny to get pulled in and, and uh, randomly searched like that and just know 100% I am good. And they, I think they, uh, oh, they yelled at me about having CBD. Oh, wow. They're, they said that, 
they said that's not federally legal, which I'm 90% sure it is. It's federally legal in all states, um, but I'm not 100% sure. But anyways, he said he'd give me a warning, but I just kind of laughed. I was like, yeah, if that's the if that's your biggest concern, we're good. Yeah, that's such a, <laughs> a minor thing. Uh, listen, man, it was really yeah. good talking to you. It was great watching you fight, and uh, we definitely look forward to it, and, and I'm sure David Branch will get the message, and we'll see if he doesn't have anybody lined up if he's willing to take that fight. But uh, I'm sure we'll be seeing you for a long time to come. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. You know, it's a, it's a great opportunity to get to talk to you guys and, and tell Matt, Sarah, what up. And I'm always in Huntington. My grandma lives out there still. And Sarah BJJ, I, I stop in and train over there, their Huntington location. So I'm sure I'll get to run into them and uh, hopefully get to train with those guys out there sometime. I'm sure you will. Matt would love that. He, he loves having guys come in anytime. So I'm sure you'd be, you'd be welcome anytime you want to go in there. Cool, man. Good talking to you, Ian. Take care, pal. Okay, I'm sure we'll talk to you again. Take care, Ian. Thanks, guys. All right, All right have a good one. You, you too, buddy. Bye. All right, well, I guess that's uh, a very, very uh, fun show. Uh, Jamie, a, thank you for being here. Yeah, that was a fascinating story, right? Yeah, he's really interesting um, to see a guy that went into that direction and came back the way he came. It was, yeah. just, it was great. Fantastic. And um, All right, I guess uh, we'll see who's in this coming week. I think Luis J. Gomez is coming in because Matt's still away. Yeah, Luis is going to co-host Wednesday. Matt will call in. Can you remind me? Because I have a check for Luis. I have to give him for something else. Sure. And uh, thanks again, buddy. It's always good seeing you. My pleasure. Good to see you, Jim. All right. Goodbye. Take care, guys. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Let's not say goodbye yet. I'm going to be at Caroline's this Wednesday. I'm going to be at Caroline's Two shows Wednesday, two shows Friday, two shows Saturday. I'm wrapping around Thanksgiving. 212-757-4100. And if you're a Chip Chipperson fan, December the 7th, uh, you can catch me in Philadelphia uh, at the Fillmore, the Chip Chipperson podcast live. And Jamie, where can people train with you? Oh, Henzo Gracie Academy, 224 West 30th Street. All right. Make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Radio.com, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's not my business. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.